0: And as I introduce this, I wanted to, to give you guys another confession. So if you were here last week, uh, I did this. I, I confessed something about me that I felt was, was pretty open of me to, like, to like, put it out there in front of all of you. And so uh, today I'm going to give you another confession. And, and some of you guys really like it when I confess things because you realize, man pastor's just as messed up as any of us like he's got his issues just like the rest of us and so that can be really encouraging and some of you are like yes keep keep confessing pastor keep doing that but uh, anyways uh, you may know me and if you know me this won't be a surprise to you and if you don't know me you may begin to learn this about me and i've heard that being able to admit something is the first step to recovery all right so something about me my confession i'm a competitive person. Yeah. I got a couple laughs out of that. Like I'm okay. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm super competitive. Like I'm, I'm really competitive at anything we're doing. And so, you know, with all of our kids, my wife's like, take it easy on the kids. Can't you let them win one? And I'm like, no, I can't. So in fact, we, a couple of weeks ago we were on vacation and, and the kids learned how to play chess. And so I'm like, great, let's play some chess. And, uh, my niece, uh, my niece, I don't know, I, I left something open, and she's like, I think I beat you. So I played her again and again, and I just dominated her. I had to make up for losing, and I creamed her. Ah, I'm just, conf- don't think I'm a bad person. In fact, uh, a couple years ago, uh, a couple years ago, we got um, a video game for our kids for Christmas. It's called Wii Sports Resort, and it's got all these fun little games for the kids to do. And our family had this competition uh, going for wakeboarding on We Sport Resort, okay? And my son was 10 years old at the time, and he beat my record, okay? And, 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 and so this was, this was a Saturday night, and, and he went to bed. I was up till one thirty in the morning trying to beat his record because I was not going to finish in second place. I have problems. I have issues. I know it. My wife and I. Uh, she's she's understood this about me. Like, when we leave church, like, it's a competition. Who can get home first? You know? And it's like, whoever gets home second, they've got to do the dishes after lunch today, right? So, I'll, I, I try not to do the dishes very often. We used to, my wife and I used to play games with each other. Scrabble was one of our favorites. And uh, the problem is, is I make up words. And so, she'd be like, that's not a word. I'm like, I just said it. It's a word. So, she... She, she, she had to find one of those Scrabble dictionaries online. So we don't play Scrabble anymore because that just frustrates me that she can prove whether or not my words are real words or, or, or not. Man, that's just, that's who I am. And I, and I remember uh, going through this process and trying to think, like, why like why am I so competitive? And I don't know if you're competitive or not, but I, I, I ask that question of myself. Why am I so competitive? Because honestly... It's not so much about winning and losing. Like, we play with our men's softball team, and, and if our team loses, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with losing. But if I have a poor game, if I don't do very well, I mean, I, I, I'm frustrated. Because I feel like it's a reflection on me. I feel like it's something saying, hey, look, you aren't achieved. You haven't accomplished anything. And so it's, it's more this internal thing. And I, and I begin to, well, where's that come from? I was thinking back to to my days when I was in school. And some of you can think back that far. Some of you, it takes really hard to think back that far. But you think back to your school days. And I remember in school, I loved the subjects that were very objective. You know, like like math and and history. It's like you you read the book, you learn the facts, and then you take a test. And they want to know how many of the facts that you remember. And so you read the book and it says A plus B equals C. Like, I love that. Like, I, I could do that because that's measurable. I could show, hey, here's what I'm learning. Here's my progress. I know this fact now, and I can recite it. And that means I'm learning something. That means I'm, I'm, I'm proving myself. And I really enjoyed those objective opportunities where I could show that I am growing and learning and improving and, 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 and bettering myself. But then I was in Mrs. Finch's class. I, I, Mrs. Finch. She was my english teacher for like three years in high school okay that was a rough class okay because that english is more at least in her with her style it was more subjective it wasn't objective it wasn't like you're learning a plus b equals c like like the way she taught was 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 it was like you know, A is considering joining B, but it's raining outside, so she's not sure she wants to join B, and leaving C to feel really sad and lonely, so what's, what do you tell B to make B feel better? And I'm like, D? I am like dii do not I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And it was so difficult because I enjoyed the objective, You know, we're we're a definitive answer. You learn the facts, this is what it is, and and there. But that subjective portion of it, man, that deals with emotion and opinion and and, and the heart. And things could change so often. And, And I really struggled because it was hard for me to figure out, am I improving? Am I growing? Am I getting better? Because it's so subjective. And so I start looking at my competitiveness. And I think it comes back to this idea of objective reasoning. I like to be competitive, because if I can be competitive, then it shows I am improving. I am getting better. I am learning. I am growing. And some of those things where you're not, then it makes me feel like I'm not progressing. I'm not growing. And I bring this up because when we start talking about faith, I think you kind of have that same idea in faith, where there's this objective faith. Like this, this knowledge about God, this knowledge about Jesus, this knowledge about the Bible. And there's also this subjective part of our faith that deals with our emotions, that deals with our heart. And you've got these two sides of the coin. You've got this objective faith, which is knowledge, and then you've got this, this, this uh, subjective faith, which is the heart. And that's less definitive as this head knowledge. And sometimes what happens in the Christian world is we take that objective faith, we take that knowledge, and we make that like the the way that we grade ourselves. Like, as long as I know more about the Bible, as long as I listen to a bunch of sermons, as long as I can quote theology, then that shows that I'm a good Christian, because I've got the knowledge to back it up. But the problem is, our faith is not just objective. It's not just about knowledge. It's including two areas you begin to think, well, what about that subjective portion of our faith? What about that heart knowledge? How does that impact our daily life? So this morning we're going to continue a series that we're calling Welcome to Church. Now this is just our opportunity to, uh, as a church, as elders, to be able to speak towards a few issues. Uh, for Where we are as Restoration Church, talk through some of our mission, our vision, some of our values, some of the things that we want to prioritize uh, the next season of life for us. And so today I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 4. John is in the second half of your Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about this head and this heart knowledge about God, about the Bible, about the gospel. And so uh, really I'm titling this message, um, Head and Heart Worship, because that's really what it's going to be about and uh, so before we jump in, just a little bit of context for where we are. Um, Jesus, Jesus uh, in John chapter 4 comes a- and meets this woman at the well. And you, some of you know the story, it's a well-known story. He meets this woman at the well and he engages in conversation with her, which was a weird thing to happen. Because in those days, rabbis or teachers like Jesus, they wouldn't, they wouldn't interact with a woman like this. They wouldn't talk to her like this. This never would have happened. And so Jesus goes and he says, hey, would you give me some water? And again, culturally, this was just taboo. This was not something that should happen. And she says, you know, you shouldn't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. And Jesus uh, goes through this conversation and says, I can give you eternal water that you will never thirst again. And this kind of opens up her heart and she's curious and she wants some of this water. And that kind of leads to where our text is today, um, starting in verse 16. But before we read, would you just go ahead and pray with me? God, just thank you for this opportunity to be gathered with your people today. God, we know the church is not a building. The church is a people, so we're excited to be with your people today. And just pray, God, that you would allow your spirit to, to rest on us today as we, we wrestle with these ideas of worship and what worship is and, and, um, and, and knowledge and, and, and in our hearts. And uh, God, I pray that you help us to understand some of these things about about this head knowledge and this heart knowledge and how, God, you've called us to have both of these things, a a head knowledge about who God is and and, and what the Bible says and what the gospel is. You also have called us to have this heart knowledge that that it has an everyday effect on everything that we do. So God, I pray that you give us understanding today. I pray that you speak to us and draw us closer to you, Jesus. We love you and praise you, and we ask this in your name, amen. So John chapter 4, and we're going to start looking at verse 16. Whoa, that's not supposed to happen. Okay, John chapter four, 4, verse 16. It says, And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Awkward. Like, if that's you in that conversation, like, that's just... Awkward. This lady, she doesn't have the best background. She's got a little bit of brokenness. She's got all these these past relationships that have failed and have been doomed, and she's got that reputation. And here she's confronted by Jesus about it. And, and un- undoubtedly, any of us would be uh, would feel uncomfortable in that situation. Like we don't want anybody prying into our personal life. We don't want them prying into the the private affairs and the details of our life. And so she tries to kind of uh, change the topic on Jesus. And divert the conversation from being about her personal life and those matters. And she changes the conversation to being um, on matters of worship. And Jesus is going to oblige that conversation to say, let's talk about what true worship is. And so here's what what he says. Jesus is going to say, this is the kind of worshiper that God is looking for. Here's what it says in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me that the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, meaning Jesus came from the Jews and started. But the hour is coming and is now here, in the coming of Jesus, when, here we go, listen to this. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He says, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he speaks, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Do you hear what Jesus said there? True worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. This is a Father. God the Father is looking for that type of worshiper who will worship in both spirit and truth. Now when we see truth, I want to be clear, this is talking about a head knowledge about God. This is this is the facts and the information about the Bible and the theology and the things we can learn. And when it talks about the spirit, this is dealing with the heart knowledge. The heart knowledge, which is the emotions and the attitudes and, and what comes out of our soul. Now most of us, we understand what it means to worship in truth. I mean, that's probably a little bit easier. That's that objective side of it, where it's easier for us to see, hey, there's progress. You can see I'm growing. I'm learning more about the Bible. I'm, I'm learning more about the, the the Christianity. I'm learning more about God. And so that's what we do to worship God in truth is we open up God's word and we, we learn the amazing truth about who God is. And the more that you and I read the Bible, the more that we that we um, sit under pastors who, who teach the Word of God, the more that we attend Bible studies, the more that we learn, this is the more knowledge that we gain about who God is, about the attributes of God, about His, his actions, about the character of God, about His process of salvation that He's extended to every one of us. And this is what it means when we worship God in truth. But like I said, unfortunately, Many of us make that the litmus test for Christian maturity. Like, hey, I've got a lot of knowledge. That makes me really smart. That makes me, that makes me a better Christian than other people. That makes me mature because I have all this knowledge and I can quote Bible verses and I can engage in theological, theological discussions and I can teach a class and I can do these things. And, and, and we, like, we like this idea of, of limiting Christian maturity to this idea of truth because it's objective it's measurable like you can come in and you can be quizzed to know what you know about the bible and you can say man i'm i'm there man i've got a lot of knowledge i'm I've, I've made progress the more i learn the better i get most of us don't have a struggle with worshiping god in truth i mean restoration church we're a bible church that's what we got like i'm not that great i'm not that smart I got the Bible and that's what we have. So we're pretty strong on worshiping God in truth because that's our book. That's that's what we have is the word of God. But having a head knowledge about God is not enough. We said this this last week, that having a belief in God was not enough. Because if you remember what the book of James said, the the brother of Jesus, he said in James chapter two, he said, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. They believe in God. They have the knowledge of who God is, but it's never connected to their heart. The, the, the mark of Christianity is not just a belief in God. It's a love for God. We said that last week. Loving God is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. And where does that love come from? It comes from the heart. And so, Here we go. Jesus says we worship God in truth, but we also worship God in spirit. That's the kind of worshiper that God's looking for, in spirit and truth. Now this word spirit, when you look in the original Greek, it's this word that means, the Greek word mean uh, pneuma, which means uh, coming out of our breath, coming out of our, our spirit, deep down out of our soul. And so, so, I connect this idea of worship God in spirit is, is having a heart knowledge of God. Because this is going to affect our emotions. This is going to affect our, our decisions. This is going to affect our attitudes. This is going to affect um, um, our adoration. And this is something that ought to rise up out of deep in our soul, out of this deep love and affection for God. comes out of the heart. And this becomes a little tougher for us to define what it looks like for us to worship God in spirit. Because again, worshiping God uh, in truth, that's subjective. Like that's easy to see the progress and easy to see. But worshiping God out of the heart, that, that's subjective. That looks different. That, that, that feels different. It's, it deals with our emotions. And especially for us guys, man, that's hard. Like We don't want to deal with those emotions. And so, so what I want to do this morning is I want to help us wrestle with how do we worship God in spirit? Because ultimately, God is looking for us to worship him in two ways, in spirit and truth. And I think truth is the easier one, because that's subjective. I think the spirit is a little bit harder, because that's subjective. And so what I want to do this morning is, I want to help us learn, man, how can we grow in our, in, our, in our heart knowledge, in worshiping God out of our spirit, and so we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at ways that we can help to engage our heart as we worship God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come forward. And um, as they're doing that, um, I want to be clear. As we open up the Bible, there's all sorts of commands throughout scriptures about the ways that we can worship God in spirit, that we can worship God with our hearts. And I don't want to just make, make the mistake of saying, well, we're going to learn some information about how to worship God. No, the idea today is that we take what we hear and we, we, we practice it from our heart. And we open up our heart for God to do something here. That's the goal, is that our hearts would be touched and would help us discover how we can practically worship God on a, on a spirit level, on a, on a heart level. And so we're going to look at five different ways, uh, practical ways, physical ways— that we can worship God that engages God on a heart level, that engages our heart. And so this is going to be a little bit of an interactive time together where I'm going to come up and and share some Bible verses. And then we're going to actually stop and we're going to practice what we just learned. And then we'll come up and learn a little bit more. And then we're going to stop and, again, practice what we just learned. We'll do this five times this morning. Now, let me just tell you, this is going to get awkward Like, this is going to be uncomfortable for some of us in here today. This is going to be uncomfortable. And that's good, because we're in it together. And it's going to be uncomfortable for all of us. And so we all going to be awkward together. And so, just invite you to to, to process through this with us. And say, hey man, God's looking for that kind of a worshiper. In spirit and truth. So let's learn how we can grow in worshiping God in our spirit. So the first, first posture that I think engages our heart when we worship God, is to worship God through singing, to worship God with our mouths. So just to read a couple of verses, uh, biblical commands for this, Psalms chapter 147 verse 1 says, tells us, "'Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting.'" Psalm chapter 92, verses 1 and 2 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6 says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is a Holy One of Israel. And Psalms chapter 123 says, My lips will shout for joy, and I will sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. So one of the ways that I think we engage our heart in that spirit worship uh, of God is through singing, through uh, worship with our mouths. And I'm just going to uh, tell you the truth. Like I've been told once or twice, I don't have the best singing voice. In fact, in fact, I had a buddy sitting next to mine and, and he says, uh, we were sitting in church one Sunday and I'm singing and he goes, man, he said, you've got quite a voice. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Thank you. He goes, yeah, your voice sounds like a walrus trapped in a bear trap. Like, it's, it's horrible. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. And I remember someone else told me, if you don't sing good, sing loud, right? So, let's just, God isn't concerned with our quality. He's not concerned with how beautiful. He just wants our voices lifted high in praise and worship for who he is. And when we're having this opportunity to worship God through singing, I want you to to remember this, okay? The goal is not just knowledge. The goal is that your heart would be connected to God. Remember who you're singing to. When we are going to sing this song in just a second, you're not singing this song to me. You're not singing this song to Danielle and the worship team. You're not singing this song to the ceiling. You're singing this song to an audience of one, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, to, to God our father so sing praise let's give thanks to god for who he is and let's stop now and let's practice worshiping god with our mouths
1: yep go ahead and stand and join us as we lift our voices for jesus at his voice, trembles at his voice, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will sing, how great, how great is our God, sing H-2-A.
0: Isn't that awkward and good? I thought it was good. So that's the first posture of worship that engages our heart. A second posture of worship that engages our heart is going to involve our hands. And there's a number of things we can do with our hands. But specifically, I want to look at the scriptural command to do this process right here called clapping. So a couple of uh, of scriptural verses. Psalm chapter 47 um, says... Clap your hands, all ye people. Clap your hands. The psalmist even calls on nature to praise the Lord with clapping. He says in in Psalm chapter 98, he says, Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. This idea that that worship with clapping and singing is, is, is worship before God. Isaiah chapter 55 says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains... And hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So as we are in this process of of worshiping and trying to engage our heart in worship, there's this idea about clapping our hands as an expression of worship. Now, just be honest, the hard part, if you're like me, you're rhythmically challenged, sometimes it's like, I don't know when I'm supposed to clap, and you're like, I'm not clapping on everybody else uh, and that's, that's okay, because, again, we're all going to be awkward together. Clapping is just one way in which we uh, join in this this process of making music together, of engaging our heart, be able to, to worship God for who He is together. Fortunately, if you're rhythmically challenged like me, one of the ladies are going to clap for us, and so you can just watch them, and every time they clap, that tells us when we should be hitting. So you oh, okay, there we go, and, and that process. So... Again, let's stand up and uh, let's do um, practice this. And I want everybody to try this, even if it's awkward for you. Let's practice this together. So.
1: Shrinkle rises, we wait upon them. Wait upon them. Wait upon them. Shrinkle rises, we wait upon them. Wait upon them, Lord. we will wait upon them. Strength rise. strength arises, we wait upon them. Wait upon them, though we will wait upon them. Strength arises, we wait upon them. Wait upon them, though we will wait upon them. We wait upon her, we wait upon her
0: Uh, sometimes when we sing that song, strength arises, we wait upon the Lord, and we repeat it, it's like, we wait upon Jonea, we will wait upon Jonea, for her to move to the next, oh, sorry, that's just, uh, that was fun, thank you for, uh, that was great. So we've got, with singing to the mouth, we've got clapping with our hands, and, uh, third posture of worship that engages the heart also involves our hands. Um, but this is a different illustration with our hands, and, um, this is dealing with, with raising our hands in worship. And want to be able to share some Bible verses that speak towards this. Psalm chapter 63 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm chapter 142 verse 141 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Lamentations, verse 3, says, Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. And men, when we talk about lifting our hands, this is specifically for you. First Timothy chapter 2 says, I desire that men in every place, that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, i got to be honest. Like, when I first stepped into uh, a church, the, the church I went to before... Uh, Nobody did this. It was, it, was, it, was, it was kind of taboo. Like, there wasn't many expressions of worship. And so, when I first came in, I thought, man, that's like really, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic. That's weird. I didn't quite understand it. So somebody would raise their hand, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Are they asking a question? Like, are, you know, they, 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 they try to wave at somebody. Are they, are they, uh, touchdown, Seahawks! Are they getting ready for the football game? Or, you know, what's going on? Wash the window? Wash the window? Yeah. And so, raising our hands, we actually see, is a biblical expression of worship. When we raise our hands, this is a picture of surrender. This is a picture of saying, God, I'm, I'm open to you. I'm, I'm, I'm yours. It's a symbol of trust, a symbol of, of openness, a symbol of, of affection towards God. And again, this is going to be awkward. Some of us come from church traditions where we didn't do this, and, and it seemed like it was something, you know, charismatics or Pentecostals or, or whatever it happens to be, but this is actually just a, 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 a way that we worship God. So I'm going to invite you to be awkward with me. If you've never done this before, just during this song, just be, be free, just to put your hand up and say, God, I'm surrendered to you, and I'm going to worship this song and just sing it and, and open myself up to you to say, God, I'm yours. So would you stand with me and uh, let's lift our hands as a symbol of a surrender to God.
1: To you and thank you that you're worthy of our praise. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He! And together we Yeah.
0: Pushing through, and it's got a couple more left. Uh, fourth expression of worship is uh, is uh, through bowing and through kneeling. So listen to listen to what the psalmist. A couple of verses. Listen to the psalmist in one thirty-eight. He says, "I bow down towards your holy temple, and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word." revelation chapter 4 verses 9 through 11 says and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him with lives forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Luke chapter 5 says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee. He says, depart, me, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, when we worship God, when we worship God in truth, when we worship God in truth and understand who he is and who we are, man, how does that not result in us falling down on our knees and confessing, God, I'm broken. God, I'm weak. God, I'm in need of you. God, you are good and I am not. And so when I, when I think about myself, I love, I love the skies. I love looking at the stars. And I don't know if any of you guys watched the Meteor Shower this past week. Uh, it was supposed to be a very unique one where you saw 200 meteors per hour normally it's about 60 on on peak and so we saw Thursday night was it was phenomenal meteor shower when i look up at those skies and i see all of those stars and i'm just reminded of how big god is how small i am and it makes me just fall down and say man god you are so worthy when we see god for who he truly is and we see us for who we are it should fill us with this deep sense of humility, this deep sense of of needing God's presence. And so when we, when we bow or when we kneel down before God, we're expressing our humility before God. We're acknowledging that He is God and that we're not, and that we are here to worship Him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice this idea of bowing down or kneeling before God. Now I know some of you All of you are in pews, and so that might be a little difficult to get on your knees because tight rows and everything else. But I want to help us to understand this is actually a posture of our heart that we're looking for. And so just in your seat, maybe you just bow down in your seat. Maybe you stay seated to the song. Uh, Maybe if you've got a little bit more room, you can bow down and just bury your face into uh, the ground and just be able to acknowledge our need for God, acknowledge our need for our Savior, acknowledge how great he is and how insignificant we truly are whatever it is during the song i t- encourage you to take this time just to humble yourself confess sin before god uh, pray for his grace uh, thank you, thank god for his presence and his and his love for you uh, however you need to do it and uh, even as we're, we're we're singing these songs as a worship team just listen to this one listen to the words just to remind you of your need for for who he is Whatever however you do, find an opportunity to, na- to kneel, to bow down, and let's worship God this way. part with worshiping God, bowing and kneeling those, it hurts to get up. And uh, I'm feeling that right now. We've got uh, one more last posture of worship I want to look at this morning. And, um, And that is to dance. I know some of you are saying, you don't dance in church. Dancing is not allowed in the church. And there are several examples throughout scripture of dancing before the Lord. My favorite example is in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Of, of King David, the king of Israel, the greatest king Israel knew besides Jesus, dancing before the Lord. The story, story goes that uh, they wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. Into the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. They wanted to, to bring that back into Jerusalem. It had, been, it had been taken away and been gone for a long time. So they first start bringing the the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, and and it starts to fall, and a guy named Uzzah uh, reached out to touch it, to catch it from falling, and he died right there, because he broke God's command of not touching it. And so, King David was afraid to bring the Ark back into Jerusalem, um, at first, but then he saw that when they took the Ark back to wait, to figure out what to do with it, that wherever the Ark was, like, God blessed it. God blessed that place, God blessed that home, God blessed those people, and so David figured out, I'm going to figure out how to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And he followed God's rules for it and, uh, and brings the ark back into Jerusalem. And here's, here's what happened 2 Samuel chapter 6. They're bringing the ark back in, there's a parade. And it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which means he was down in his holy skivvies. And so David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. David was dancing before the Lord because he was overwhelmed with God's graciousness, overwhelmed out of gratitude uh, with bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And his, his leaping and his dancing was an expressive, uh, expressiveness of joy and, and praise to God for who he is. And now, unfortunately, when you start to, to worship God, when you can worship God out of the heart, you begin to feel free. The problem is sometimes people look at you a little funny. And David had the same issue because Michael, his wife, who was uh, Saul's daughter, she saw David dancing and she, she, she didn't like it because I don't know if he didn't have the best dance moves or whatever it was, but she said, you made yourself look like a fool before all the people. But David said, no, I'm, I'm not dancing for you. I'm dancing before the Lord. And this is between me and God. And you know, I don't really care what you think. And he despised her. She despised him in her heart ever from that point forward because he was committed to worship God. And notice his motives. His motives weren't other people's opinions. His motives were, I'm worshiping God and God alone. And the rest of you, you're bystanders. I'm just here to have this moment with God. Now, I don't know if you're a dancer. I don't know if you can do the whip and nay-nay or or what you've got going on. Whatever you want to do, I'm fine. I, I don't have the best moves. Like I, I got a little bit of foot tap and I got a little bit of sway back and forth, you know, and that's about as far as I go. Um, uh, I, and and maybe, maybe you're there, uh, but my goal for this, and, and maybe you're not going to dance and that's okay, but my goal for, for today was to help us to understand that we can be free. We can be free in our worship. And, and, and that when God says we worship God in truth, listen, we love truth. I love truth. That's, that's, that's my favorite. But we also have to learn what it looks like for us to worship God out of the heart. And that means that when we worship God out of the heart, out of our, our emotions and who we are inside of our soul, it means we're free. We're not concerned about what the person next to us thinks. We're not concerned we're understanding, hey, I'm having this, this private moment between me and God. And there's another 75, 80, 100 people around me who are having a private moment with God as well. But I'm here for between me and the lord so we're going to sing a song uh, it's called i am free and uh, i want you to be free to worship god if you want to dance if you want to sway back and forth if you want to do your thing uh, between you and the lord go for it if you want to raise your hand if you want to clap uh, i invite you just let's put this all together that don't you do not have to get into your skivvies no uh, uh, skivvies not required and uh, <laughs> oh, that was good that was good Uh, oh (laughs) let me uh let me just pray for us uh and uh and then we'll we'll join in this last song together god just thank you for this opportunity just to um lord have some fun today uh god to to be awkward today uh but god just that you would help us to understand um god how we worship you in spirit but god you help us to understand it out of the depths of our soul that all the ways that we worship you, this comes out of a heart relationship with you. And that as we are, are, are growing in our knowledge of you, it should result in our, in our hearts being uh, bent towards you, being broken for you. And that, God, we want to just worship you uh, to connect our hearts. So, God, I pray for this last song. I pray for this understanding of this whole idea to just help us to be free, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.
1: Yes, go ahead and stand and join us. Can't dance in your seat, can you? Through you the darkness flees Through you my heart screams I am free I am free Through you the blind will see Through you the blind will see Through you the mute will see Through you the dead will rise Through you all hearts will break we